0: Good evening. (laughs) Well, so, the second day, first day, second day, Day. any day, (laughs) (laughs) see what happens? You've been, you've all been so good for the beginning of a retreat, You're quiet, working so hard. I, I haven't been able to do it today. Restless all day long. First day. Have you ever wondered why it's so difficult? Mm -hmm. To do nothing. To do nothing, the hardest thing of all. And yet, that's really what we're here studying. How to do nothing. Sit still. Look at thinking. Feel the body. Get up when the bell rings. Come back when it rings again. (laughs) It's a strange experience, actually, isn't it? Why is it so difficult? I've been wondering that for years. Why is it so difficult to sit still and do nothing? Just study being rather than running off to accomplish things, finish tasks, complete duties, just doing nothing. It's said that when the Buddha awoke under the tree, he looked around and saw the sad state of affairs with humankind. What he reported was that he saw that everybody was asleep. Living under some kind of weird blanket of coma. An endemic, a pandemic not knowing who we are. And his first reaction was to let it be. (laughs) You know, didn't think it would be worthwhile to try and teach because of the coma being so dense. But he, thankfully for all of us, thankfully, he did teach. And he began by saying that this world that we live in has Three main characteristics. And the first is that it's a world of impermanence, meaning that literally anything that appears here, including us, anything, thought, object, animal, institution, belief system, anything that appeared here, all things disappear. Nothing lasts. The second characteristic of this world was that everybody suffers. And that there's a very direct relationship between the impermanence and the suffering of common humanity. When everything is in flux and flow, the tendency for every individually committed self, every being who believes in a separate existence, the tendency is to look around for security and start hanging on to anything that seems stable. And that the primary clinging, the the primary clutch, is to hang on to the idea of being somebody at all, period. The original clinging. To hang on to the notion of being a, a separate entity, different from everything else. third characteristic is the, the antithesis of that, ritually, which is that there is no such thing as a separate self, that it's a belief or a, a deluded attachment to an idea. And that because people, human beings tend to believe strongly what is not true and to not believe what it is true, we get hooked into suffering in this search for identity, for security, for a certain certainty, uh, an assurance that we actually exist. Because you see, According to the way he saw it, the ego self, which we all are, operating as, has no no basis in fact for its existence. So therefore, there is always this kind of need to look, to seek comfort, consolation, some help, some teaching, some assurance. It's constantly present. he said in many different ways that that essentially that clinging to a solution of the suffering is the suffering itself we've been sitting here all day today in the midst of that dilemma that we've been born into and that he noticed when he awakened. And the reason we're sitting like this, doing this practice is that his solution to the, his offering of a way out of the situation was that we needed to observe carefully what it is that's actually happening to understand the delusion of separation. We we needed to look very closely at our habits of identifying with something, particularly identifying with a me. Because when we identify with this idea of me inside, that puts us in a situation where there's the me inside and everything else is it or them outside. The basic split in consciousness that is our discomfort, the me here and the you there. His offering was that there's a possibility of healing this split, which I often think of as the basic wound the woundedness of being a person is this separation between I and thou. That the healing comes through awareness of the situation itself. And his method that he taught very clearly was that it's it's important to sit down in a quiet place Hopefully, somewhere, establish some sense of solitude and look within carefully. In other words, to stop the doing, the running around, the searching, to stop the acting out and sit down and shut up for a while. And because that's so difficult to do, he also offered a, a way of doing that. He said that there are four basic ways of observing the situation we're in, objects of mindfulness. He said, be quiet and look within and study the body just that there is a body notice its condition is it uh, feeling light or sluggish today or is it is it uh, healthy or weak today is it standing or sitting or lying down or walking What's the situation with the body? Being aware of it at that very basic level. The other object, another one, was to observe closely the feelings of the body. The tendency to gravitate toward What's pleasant and what's avoid what's unpleasant but basically the sensations the 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 experience of the living body within the frame the within the meat body the experience of the of the aliveness itself through being aware of all kinds of sensations that are arising all the time and appearing in, in the, our present-time awareness. Part of that, observing the body's feelings, he encouraged by advising us to use the, the automatic, obviously present, happening all by itself, function of the breath, the movement of breath in the body, as a way of entering into the experience of being alive physically. Using the breath as an object of focus, which we've been doing all day. Concentration practice. The idea also being that the breath is always occurring here and now. It's always occurring in present time. And he so advised us to carefully examine the breath that he said, know when there is an in-breath happening and know when it's an out-breath happening. Very specific. Know when it's a short in-breath, or a long in-breath. Notice when it's a short out-breath or a long out-breath. In other words, get really interested in the breath. Examine that, the experience really carefully as a way of discovering what's true Really, as a way of learning about our deluded state, a way of discovering the suffering itself and the cause of the suffering, the clinging. Then he said, Observe the mind. Stop everything and be quiet, and observe the mind. No, there is mind. Is it a relaxed, easy mind now? Or is it a restless mind today? Is it a cheerful mind or a depressed, unhappy mind? And his recommendation was to observe that closely without judgment about it not so easy to do observe it closely from what he called the use of bare attention attention without any agenda attention without uh, an opinion attention without any kind of story attached to what it is that's being attended to in other words a stark looking at in the moment We've been doing that all day. Observe, he said, also the phenomena of the mind. All the stuff that's going on within the emptiness of the mind constantly. And by that he meant notice memories when they're memories. Notice plans for the future, when it's plans for the future. Notice commentary, talking about the present time, different from being in present time, talking about it. Notice imagining, notice fantasy all of the normal stuff that we encounter daily, moment by moment, in this life of the mind. And he also said, notice this without judgment. Simply develop the ability to look clearly in the quiet and in the stopping. Notice thinking itself. Notice thought for being thought. And be aware of the effect of thought in the body and in the clarity or the lack of clarity of the mind. You see, We've been doing that all day. Well, why is it so difficult? It sounds fairly cl- straightforward. Why is it so difficult to sit still and be so observant? It requires us to sit in present time, in this moment, and observe carefully what it is that's happening in this moment. The thoughts, the sensations, the movement of breath. but you may have seen during the day how difficult it is to remain resting in the moment, in present time. We don't go there very easily. The moment the separate ego self begins to relax, it's frantic looking around for help or a solution. The moment that happens... And we start to settle down, relax a little bit into this moment. It doesn't take very long before we're gone elsewhere. We circle the present moment like we're circling a hot plate that we have to sit on or something. It's really not a place we're used to resting. And yet, the present moment, this now, is the only time we're alive. It is, it's how we are, we're here. We got through this first day, you're here still, I'm here, we've done very well. I wonder how often though, we've been actually here. (laughs) Mostly chasing after something, right? Me with restlessness. It doesn't stop, this activity. It doesn't stop after awakening either. No, it goes on and on. So these skills that we've been practicing are skills that are useful for a lifetime. Why is it so difficult to be in present time why, are, why do we struggle so much? It has to do with the nature of our attachment, our identification with individuality, with being Robert or John or Kathleen, or, you know, being attached to that life story. Because the closer we become to relaxing into this breath, this very breath, this moment, the more tenuous the me has a hold on things. The more we, d- we dissolve into this zero point between the past and the future, this present moment, the more the ego I can't tolerate it the it's the atmosphere is too thin, and so it it puts up a fight, calls attention to this thought, oh yeah, well, look at this is a good one., uh-huh. I can ride on this one for a long time, pumpkin pie coming up on Thursday, you know <laughs> or what's the feast going to be like here, uh, or my family's going to be. Coming down on Thursday, I'll be seeing my daughter that I haven't seen in a couple of years, and I can think about that. And in the meantime, what's happened to being here in present time? The usual habit gone. Gatte, gatte, para gatte, para bodhisattva. Who gone? It's very difficult for us because the ego self, this commitment to being someone with a personal history fights it, doesn't like it. And the ego self, you may have noticed, operates through thinking. So when we're observing the mind as the the Buddha taught, and we're looking at the phenomena of the mind, we're observing the modus operandi of the culprit. culprit not being a bad thing. It's kind of like bandito in in Spanish. You know, it's a charming criminal. The ego self. (laughs) Thinking is the vehicle. But it isn't the thinking itself that's Causes the difficulty, thinking is totally normal. It's the chasing it. It's the seeking satisfaction in the thinking or seeking identity in the thinking or something, some result, some breakthrough. The other main tool of this separate self that is a mysterious phenomenon is emotion, even more powerful than the thinking. When there's emotion, we don't have a prayer of separating from it. It's ours. We are it. It's mine. Where does this come from, this, this sense of, of separation and individuality? When we're about six months old, when you were about six months old, just a babe in the, the bassinet, it began. There was, this, and this is our heritage, there was this movement in the mind, and it was a movement of mingling of processes body feelings, perception, mental phenomena, consciousness, all arising together as the baby matures. And that, for some reason, that movement uh, assumes its own separate identity and says, oh, I'm a me. This is who I am. I'm me. And there is no Real substance to it at all. It's just as, as impermanent as everything else in in the, in the impermanent world. So it arrives in our life and takes over. It takes over completely. It says, "This body is mine." It belongs to me. It says, these thoughts, these are all my thoughts, and uh, they belong to me too. And all of the imagining and all the feelings, they're all mine. And I'm in here in this skin, and you're out there doing something else similar, but I don't really know what you're doing because we're different. And I don't feel... At this level, the connection, the interrelatedness that the Buddha taught basically that we live in, the ocean of love and compassion that we live in, has been lost when, the, when that separate movement of self arises and starts running around in the world creating havoc like it does. Now, the facts are different from the way the, the ego sees things, though, the, the separate self, the me. And uh, I've down through the years, I've, I've always felt so graced or blessed that I went to medical school, because in medical school, I learned some things about the body and the mind that uh, are very confrontational to this ego activity. First of all, in studying anatomy and physiology, it's studying the the infrastructure of the ego's vehicle, what makes it possible. So, for instance, none of this could be happening without the beating of the heart. Unless that next impulse of the heart beating comes, we don't continue. Everything stops. Now the truth about that is that that impulse to begin the beating of the heart comes from a little tiny group of cells in the wall of the right atrium of the heart called the sinus node. And every time this impulse comes out of the sinus node, the heart contracts, the ventricles contract, and then the blood flows, and the nourishment of oxygen is distributed to all of the cells and tissues of the body, and life goes on. But that sinus node isn't connected to anything. It is not connected to the central nervous system. It exists all alone in space. By itself. And no one knows what causes the impulse to come. It's a mystery. I think for Buddhists the word God translates as mystery. It's a mystery where it comes from. The same is true of the breath. Now, when you're sitting and attending to the breath, you can really very easily think you're breathing. You know, this is your breath and you're making it happen. <sighs> you know. But in actuality, there's a little place in the brain, another group of cells, and the impulse for the next inhalation bursts forth from that little group of cells. Okay. Without that impulse happening, mysteriously, there wouldn't be the next inhalation and exhalation, which also brings then oxygen to the the tissues and fluids of the body so that we can continue to function and so that we can continue to sit here on the cushion and observe all this happening, thinking that it's ours. The same thing is true of, of the intestines when you have your lunch and your dinner, you know the the food all gets taken care of and eliminated eventually the the wastes. And that all happens because these tubes that run down through the center of the body contract and expand, contract and expand, and that muscular activity is also governed by uh, a various mysterious uh nervous system that has no beginning and no <laughs> no obvious. Source of power, also. Yeah. And maybe you can see where I'm going with this. All of the endocrine glands that make it possible for you to sit here in consciousness and have thoughts and do breathing and move around, all of the glands in the body are uh, orchestrated by a little, uh, a little marble that sits in the middle of the brain. It has a little throne that it sits in, actually, called the Sella turcica, And everything that is happening with all your adrenals and paraadrenals and your thyroid and yata-da-yata, yata, all of the, the, the fundamental infrastructure that makes this possible is orchestrated from this little place in the head. Well, now, my my point with all this is that we're not doing any of this at all. You have nothing to do with it. You see, you don't create the breath. And that means it isn't yours. It means you don't own it. It's simply happening by itself. And the same with the heart beating. You don't make that beat. It's happening all by itself. This is important, and I'm talking about this now because I really have this sense that if we understood this deeply at the beginning of the retreat, it would help a lot as things go on day by day. You see, you're not doing anything to make what's happening possible. In fact, it's not only that you don't do anything, There isn't anybody here doing, nor anybody behind it or owning it. It's all just occurring. Now, the the characteristic of the ego self in all this is that it's greedy and grasping, and it wants to be in control, and it wants to have ownership of everything. Not only that, it's critical, and it has an adversarial relationship to reality. The ego self is never satisfied with how it's going. Always looking for improvements and being critical of you, how you're doing it, and what, you, telling you what you should do to get better. And it thinks that it's in charge of your life and you. Not only that, it thinks you are you. <laughs> Can you get that? This little fantasy in your mind, has assumed full identity and also thinks it's in control. Well, if you expand all of this logically, it's also true that in the mind, observing the mind, we notice, and I'm sure you've noticed it today, there is a constant flow of thought. And by thought, I mean fantasies, imaginings, memories, planning, verbal thought, uh, visual thought, even auditory thought. Phenomena of the mind. There's a constant flow of it. It does not stop for very long. And you can't stop it, even if you try. It's just like the beating of the heart and the movement of the lungs. It's the natural functioning of the mind. And what causes us so much trouble in resting in the moment and relaxing and sitting still is that the ego self thinks it owns thought too. This is my thinking. This is my thought. These are my beliefs and I'll defend them to the, my dying day. You know? And and of course what we see in the world is uh, groups of egos get together and they have agreements about what's real and what isn't and then they get into fights with other groups of egos who don't agree with them and they kill each other. It's called religious wars. It's the history of a humankind. All going back to the fact that this little movement in the mind that says I am me, the me, actually believes, is totally committed to being in control of all of this. So when we're sitting together in a situation like this, committed to doing nothing and just observing it all, it's very difficult because we think it's us. We think it's ours. Take the breath, for instance, now. How would it be if you were able to settle back, remember that this body is breathing without you? It doesn't need you to do that at all. There's no concern about it. It's going to go on for as long as it goes on. If you could settle back and stop interfering with the breath. You could stop thinking of it as yours. You could stop trying to control it. Keep track of it. What if if all we had to do and all we can do is exactly what the Buddha taught and the word he used was know the breath. know, Know the sensations of the body. Knowing is not doing. It's simply perceiving, being aware of, without any action. What if we could sit and observe the breath like it's happening here without anything to do with me or you, and there was nothing to do but witness it, and observe it? And that is the practice, actually. And the same with body sensations. They're constantly arising in the moment. They're always in present time. So it's not only that it's hard for us to be in present time and then be with that for any length of time, but it makes it harder when we think it's ours, our body. These are my feelings. I own them. And that when I feel uh, tight, it says something about me that I'm not doing it right, or if I feel anxious, I'm all screwed up here, I, I'm, I better do something because there's anxiety and it says I'm wrong. You see, how often does your ego self tell you you're not doing it right? A lot of times, I know it does because we're all the same that way. One of the blessings of meditation is that when the mind concentrates a little bit and there's enough peace and space and we sink below all of the busyness of the me, 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 we start becoming directly in contact with that which is universal, those uh, experiences that are common to all of us. And we realize, oh, there's only really one person here. There's only one life here. All these little forms and chain, different experiences are delusional. There is in actuality only one life, one heart beating. As Teja says every morning, the heart that beats all hearts. One thinker, the one who has so many names down through history, but is able to respond when called by any name with love. One thinker, one heartbeater, one one individual, which is what the Buddha taught. That was the foundation of his teachings, was the interconnectedness and the the, the unity of all life. And then what he said about the arising at the age six months, as I mentioned, the arising of this movement in the mind that says, I'm a me and you're a you, what he said about that was that it's wrong view. A twisted way of seeing the world. We are heir to, I guess what in Christianity would be called original sin, but I kind of like wrong view better. It's a way of uh, uh, seeing through a lens that splits everything into opposites. Me and you, up and down, black and white, in and out, Mm -hmm. yes and no. And in that separation of opposites, when we identify with the me inside, we then fall into loneliness, despair, searching for, for consolation, needing, needing, clinging, wanting, we fall into suffering. You see? And that's the plot line of our story. Someone once asked Jack, well, why is it like this? And he says, to thicken the plot. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, It just is. An amazing story. Who could have thought all this up? I mean, it's just incredible. We arrive here, grow up thinking one way, that we are something, and there's an out there and an in here, and that there's something to do about it, listening to voices in the head that tell us we're wrong all the time you know, and criticizing you. You you know how rarely that voice in your head says how wonderful you are. Not much, right? And it's all thought, it's all thought up. When this practice has prepared you enough, or us, or any of us, me, when there has been enough learning to relax into the present time, into now, without freaking out totally, there come moments when all of that thinking, all of that planning, all that worry, all that desperation abruptly and inexplicably ceases stops for whatever length of time and then there is no me there then it absolutely disappears into the now into this real moment of life and then the ego self comes back and if Whenever it's ready, and it says no, 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 you cannot get out that easily. Come back, come back. Remember, you've got to feed the dog, you know, and you got to go shopping tomorrow, and your relationship is deteriorating. You better work on that, and call your mother for heaven's sake. All that, all, all that comes back in an instant. But the reason our practice is so precious, and so we're so blessed to know about it, is that after that experience of the ceasing, we know, oh, now I get it. There was that moment when it wasn't here. I wasn't here. And then what's understood is it's all thought up. It's all thought up. Thinking, 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 imagining. There's not a moment of true reality to it at all. That's truth. So you can understand how coming together like this and sitting down and doing nothing is very difficult because the me doesn't want to know that, hates that. Doesn't want you to wake up because then he or she hasn't got a chance. And he or she will do anything to keep existing, anything to, I mean anything, as you well know. So it's difficult, that's why it's so difficult for us to sit still and to do nothing, really do nothing. And that's also why it's very important that we learn because it's in the stopping that the truth emerges. And it's also in the stopping, in the emptiness of the absence of the blah, 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 you, 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 me, me, me. In the absence of that, we discover where love comes from where compassion lives. It lives back of all that thought and all of that doing that we bring to the retreat and sit in. Unconditional love is what we are in truth when all of that stops. Unconditional love and acceptance Loving, kindness, compassion, all those words. And the more we experience that, the more easily we begin to see each other that way. Oh, if I'm making it all up and you're, you're making it all up and what's behind it is love, why don't we just get to the love? Huh? <laughs> Here we are. Begin by loving yourself. And it radiates out from one of us to another, and then we realize, yes, it's all thought up. there is no separation whatsoever, actually. But we have to we don't know it in the cells, in the cells yet. We have to sit here and look closely, like the Buddha taught, to discover the truth of the truth of who we are. Not some grand, you know, cosmic answer. The truth of who we are. To awaken out of the coma the blanket of not knowing that the Buddha noticed when he awoke and looked around. I don't know if he was the first one, but he certainly was key. Which, what he taught and what he noticed is just as powerful today as it was then. And his teachings have come down through the ages unchanged. And you're following his directions right here in this hall. So I've told you how I see it, what makes it so difficult. And I'm also alluded to the worthwhileness of doing it. It makes it possible to what Jack calls to become accident prone and wake up by accident. Because we can't force that. We can't, you see, it would just be the ego self doing more harm (laughs) more trouble so it isn't easy and as the days go on you'll find more and more the truth of that and I think you already know because we'll struggle more with the mind and with the thought and we'll struggle with body pain and we'll struggle with the impulse to do something about it maybe run away. No. How many times have you thought that? I could leave. (laughs) That's why I said you've done so well, because we're all here still. (laughs) That's major. It isn't easy. But it certainly is worth it. Here is a poem from Hafiz one of my guys, one of my favorite loves. Now, now is the time that all that you do is sacred. Now, why not consider a lasting truce with yourself and God or the mystery? Now is the time to understand that all your ideas of right and wrong were just a child's training wheels to be laid aside when you finally live with the veracity of love. Oh yes, huh? The veracity of love, not the emotion, the veracity of love. Hafiz is a divine envoy whom the beloved has written a holy message upon. My dear, please tell me, why do you still throw sticks at your heart? And God? What is it in that sweet voice inside that incites you to fear? Now is the time for the world to know that every thought and action is sacred. This is the time for you to compute the impossibility that there is anything but grace. Now is the season to know that everything you do is sacred and particularly stopping and looking closely is very sacred. I'm so happy to be sharing this blessing with you, the opportunity to do what we're doing here and encourage all of us to savor every moment of it, even the pain every moment I'll stop there now there will be um, we'll sit just a couple of minutes I'll ring the bell and then there will be the, the schedule is actually wrong and I did it at the end, there's, there's to be a, a short walking, I think a half an hour, and then come back at 9 o'clock for the last sitting. And the uh, Quillet pointed out to me that the way I had written it up, it was that you just leave here and go walking, which means you could go to bed, you know, and forget the whole thing. And I think that's probably what I had in mind. <laughs> 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 but don't do it mm-hmm. <laughs> so there'll be a walking and then the bell will ring and we'll come back for the last sit and just a moment now of silence kind of digest all of this stuff I've laid on you Doesn't belong to you. You're not the breath, you're not the body, you're the witness. Mm